Welcome to Digging In with Missouri Farm Bureau. I'm Eric Bold, Director of Public Affairs. We're going to talk with our legislative team to dig into what's going on in Missouri politics and national politics that affects Missouri agriculture and rural Missourians. B.J. Tanksley is our Director of State Legislative Programs, and we have quite a few things uh, on the plate this week. What's going on with, uh, with things over at the Capitol this week? You know, this has been another busy week. Um, it's exciting as we get into these days of session where it seems like the, uh, the legislative calendar continues to roll, whether it's uh, Senate hearings or House hearings or then moving to the floor. Things are actually getting moving. Uh, we've gotten out of those first few weeks where everybody's just finding their way and uh, and really moving quickly. Um, we were excited this week to see uh, the Senate uh, committee voted out the um, Senator Munslinger's Ag Land Valuation Bill, which added some caps to the percentage to which this, the state tax commission could increase land valuations. It doesn't say they can't increase the taxes on ag land, but it says let's do it reasonably. You know, um, approximately 10 years ago, we were looking at a completely different ag economy than we are now. And if the, ta- if the state tax commission had have overreacted to that, we could have seen a huge increase in our, in our ag land taxes. Um, that wouldn't have been fitting for this current economy. So allowing it to tick up makes a lot more sense than allowing huge swings when we do see those good economies. We all appreciate them when they do come, and we know the state should react to those, but we want to make sure that it's reasonable when they do do so. Um, that bill uh, puts a 2% cap each two every two years and an 8% cap over over 10-year uh, period. And so that allows, like I said, the fluctuation when we need it, um, but not over overreactions. Uh, we've seen in other states um, where they've seen giant fluctuations in their ag um, in their ag property values and the taxes they pay thereon, um, and they say, you know, it's it's really really painful in some of the other in, the, in some of the other states that don't have such such regulations. And that's it. It wouldn't say that when they consider that the revaluation potential proposals that they have to raise it anything at all, right? No, we could still have a year like this where they stayed the same or even went down mainly for um, for pasture land. But but if they are going to increase, let's tick up rather mm-hmm. than having huge swings. Sure. And, you know, predictability is, is number one. Uh, we can't predict the markets, but we, it is helpful to be able to predict what that, what that side of the balance sheet is going to look like. Yeah, in such a volatile industry, it makes a lot of sense to um, not overreact when things go high and um, lock because tax values don't tend to go down once they go up. So. No, it's much harder to bring <laughs> them back. That's for sure. Ag prices do. So, um, all right. Another issue that um, we've been following a long time, you've been working on for several years, is uh, the issue with the proposed in- introduction of industrial hemp into the state. Where we actually saw some movement on that this week. Where are we with that? So, yeah, um, Missouri Farm Bureau has had policy. Um, uh, relating to industrial hemp for a while. Um, Since it was introduced in the 2014 Farm Bill, our policy has said that we wanted to make sure that if Missouri did move forward, that it was in line with the federal Farm Bill. Um, So we were glad to see that this year's um, industrial hemp bills were much more in line and have included some language to make them in accordance with federal law. Uh, So we really appreciate those changes. and I think that um, Missouri Farm Bureau is glad to not have to stand in opposition to those bills at this point. So we appreciate uh, the proponents of that bill being uh, willing to listen to our concerns. Missouri Farm Bureau has never uh, necessarily had a 
had a position on the product of industrial hemp, but more that we wanted to make sure that Missouri farmers and ranchers that would choose to go that direction were, were working in line with federal law. If we are going to move in that direction, we have seen other states do so. We want to make sure that everybody's doing so in accordance with federal law so that if something does change, um, there's no quick overreaction to our Missouri farmers or or uh, or otherwise. Sure. Absolutely. I think that's a good way to approach the a very controversial issue. Um, another item that we mentioned last week, but it has uh, actually seen a little bit of movement in the past uh, seven days, is the governor's tax reform proposal actually was released um, since we last spoke. Any details that you saw that were that stuck out to you as interesting that would really affect our members? Yeah, there's some exciting news. Obviously, the governor is touring the state this week, uh, talking about his tax cut plan, um, and the the summary states that it would cut taxes for 97% of Missourians. So when they run their actuarials or test of it, it says 90% of Missouri, 97% of Missourians would see a tax cut. So obviously that's exciting for everybody. We don't want to, nobody wants to have to pay more taxes than they have to. Um, so that's exciting. But obviously the devil's in the details with those kind of things. Most of these are supposed to be offset by, uh, by changes to our current tax credit system. One of those is the timely filing discount where businesses are, are, Basically, they get a two percent savings just for doing what they should on time each month. Mm-hmm. So there's there's that's one of those that's ripe for change, I think. And then the other would be the internet sales tax, um, which is where internet-based businesses aren't necessarily paying sales tax to the state of Missouri. Missouri Farm Bureau does have policy in favor of such a sales tax because we see it as um, a tax that our local businesses aren't paying, whereas businesses out of state are are our local businesses are paying that out of state businesses wouldn't necessarily be. So um, there's definitely some possibilities there. You know, with a tax credit pl- or a tax overhaul plan like this, it's never an easy subject. There's always going to be uh, winners and losers in those kind of things, and, and those types of issues don't necessarily happen the first year round. Um, this is a big undertaking, but I would say with the uh, with the momentum from federal government, as well as a couple of uh, state legislators on both sides of the of both sides of the Capitol that are interested in doing such a plan, um, it's definitely going to get some conversation because mm-hmm. this is definitely a big step uh, for all for all legislators at this point. When they see the federal government leading that way, they probably would like to fall in line as well. Right, absolutely. And Farm Bureau hasn't taken a specific position on the overall package, though, correct? No, we don't have a specific position. Obviously, like I pointed out, there's a few there that we we definitely are encouraged by, Mm -hmm. but we would definitely want to dive deeper as the conversation continues to go to see how it would affect our rural members. Um, You know, we want to make sure it's good for everybody and for the state. The state's facing a tough budget time where Mm -hmm. state departments across the across the realm are are being asked to cut back. So we know that we're dealing with less money now than we were before, even less money than last year when we did see some drastic cuts. So talking about a tax overhaul isn't necessarily an easy conversation, but we mm-hmm. we will continue to be a part of that conversation as, as this moves forward because we want to make sure if there is an opportunity um, that we do take advantage of it. Absolutely. Uh, anything else um, important going on in the state legislature this week? You know, um, the House Ag Committee and the Senate Ag Committee both heard some bills talking about animal care, um, talking about when it is right to come in and, and confiscate animals and when it isn't. We want to make sure that those bad actors are able to still be taken care of while at the same time not having an undue burden on those involved in animal agriculture. Um, so Farm Bureau does have a say in those. We do appreciate the, those efforts and, and will continue to be a part of the conversation as, as they move forward. So Great. some some exciting things happen out there. Uh, the pace of the pace of the session is really picking up. So uh, <laughs> it's an exciting time in the Capitol. That's right. We hardly see you anymore because you <laughs> seem to be 
spending all of your time downtown. Yeah, it's definitely a swing back and forth each day and, and hope for a few free minutes. So appreciate <laughs> well, you. appreciate you taking a few minutes to fill us in on where, what you've been working on. Yeah, thank you very much. All right, thanks. Spencer Tuma is our Director of National Legislative Programs, and this week she's actually joining us from the road because she's been out and about in southern Missouri at a meeting uh, regarding Secure Rural Schools Program, which is something we'll maybe see if we can get an update from her on as well. But Spencer, what all has been going on with the national legislative issues? Yeah, absolutely. Well, Eric, thanks for having me and thanks for being so accommodating as I'm on the road this week. Uh, I'm traveling back from Winona, Missouri, which is in Shannon County in the south central part of the state. So a lot of road time today. From the national legislative front, you know, it's been an exciting week. Congress is back in session and uh, got to hear President Trump's first ever State of the Union yesterday evening. Uh, He spoke for about an hour and 20 minutes about a lot of different issues. And so we were excited to hear some of the things that he brought up in that speech. What what did you hear that you were expecting to hear? Anything that that was a surprise to you uh, relating to agriculture? Sure. So uh, the president, of course, did touch on trade. Uh, I actually expected that he would have more remarks on trade, especially since we're right in the middle of renegotiating NAFTA and starting renegotiations on the Korea-United States agreement. He didn't really go there. Uh, He touched more from a bird's eye view about how he's hoping to engage the United States in more trade deals that are fair and reciprocal, uh, which matches a lot of the rhetoric that he has been campaigning on and and running most of his administration on. Of course, it was no surprise that we did hear quite a bit about immigration with the government shutdown last week and the promise of the Senate and the House of Representatives to take up immigration before government funding expires on February 8th. The president did touch briefly on his proposed infrastructure plan. Now, he didn't get into any details, uh, but he did call on Congress to help craft a proposal uh, that would be worth about $1.5 trillion to boost uh, infrastructure projects throughout the United States. And that's something that was, there was a draft of a memorandum or a draft of a project proposal, I suppose, that was leaked out of the White House uh, a couple of days ago, or at least allegedly was coming directly from the White House. And it it kind of laid out the plan. It was a four-page um, document that laid out what they were going to be proposing with uh, an infrastructure package, saying that about 50% of that funding would be going towards major transportation infrastructure projects. And then um, a quarter of the money would actually be directly focused on rural areas. That's something that we were, I think, very excited to see. Yeah, absolutely. And of course, the president didn't confirm any details of his plan last night. But if those details that were released from the White House are true, then that's something we certainly you know, would be looking forward to for Missouri to take advantage of. That would have a great impact on a lot of our members, and especially if the president decides to include uh, broadband access in that infrastructure package. That could really make a difference for some of the things we've been working on. That's for sure. What else uh, did he say about the um, the trade issues? We we had the, the Montreal meeting just wrap up for the NAFTA renegotiation. Any specifics on where we're headed with NAFTA? Sure. So the president didn't touch on NAFTA by name yesterday evening, but uh, many sources have said that the the talks about the NAFTA renegotiation did wrap up in Montreal just a couple of days ago. Um, I'm not sure what round of talks it was. I think it was the fifth or sixth, but there have been quite a few. Um, And there was a lot of positive feedback coming out of those meetings. Some of those uh, renegotiation rounds have had some not so positive feedback. 
um, some negative statements afterwards. But this time it seemed like uh, they made some progress on things like sanitary and phytosanitary standards in trade agreements, specifically in NAFTA. So we were pleased to see that while, you know, they didn't get the whole thing solved overnight, that there does seem to be some incremental progress moving forward with that. And you mentioned the Korean free trade agreement as well, which is much, much newer than NAFTA. NAFTA is almost about 25 years old, and the Korean one was actually just signed about five years ago, give or take a year or two. And uh, they're already working on re- redoing the Korean one as well, though. Are there any particular issues that we're looking at with the Korean um, free trade agreement? Sure, absolutely. With any trade agreement, of course, we're going to be monitoring the effects that it's going to have on Missouri's farmers and ranchers. One really important commodity to the Korean-United States trade agreement that was actually left out at the last minute when that deal was signed uh, was rice. And Missouri's a big rice-producing state. We're not the largest, but we, we produce a significant amount down in the Pukiel and certainly could be an opportunity to gain some market access for our rice farmers uh, and give them another uh, place to sell their rice. Well, I believe we're either the fifth or sixth largest state in rice production, depending on which number you look at. So shocking to a lot of people that didn't even know that there was any rice in Missouri. We actually have a huge amount down. It's all in that concentrated area down in the boot heel, but it's very important to our economy down in that area. We definitely be watching that one very closely and hopefully be able to open up that Korean market more where they consume a lot of rice. For sure, for sure. So um, those talks uh, about the Korea-United States trade agreement, those actually started today, uh, and they'll be happening over the next couple of days, and I anticipate there will be several more rounds as as, uh, all those details are worked out. So we're anxious to see what happens. Great. Any update on the Secure Rural Schools issue? Sure. So I was in a meeting uh, today, like I mentioned, in Winona, Missouri. For those uh, listening who might not be familiar with Secure Rural Schools, it is actually a program uh, that was instituted by the United States government in about 1908 was when this idea originally came about. And what it does is it directs funds that are generated by revenues on national forest land, so timber harvest, uh, to be directed back to local school districts. And a portion of that goes to the counties as well to offset the difference that um, not having property taxes paid on that government-owned land kind of make up some of that difference. Uh, For counties that don't have national forest ground located in them, they've probably not ever heard of this. Uh, But it is a really, really big deal to those counties that do have national forest land. And I think some school districts that that secure rural schools funding can make up up to 3% or more of their annual budget. So it's it's a pretty good chunk of federal dollars. That funding has actually lapsed back to a level that was passed in 1908. It was about 50%. And now it's back to 25%, which is having a really negative impact on some of our local school district's budgets. Mm-hmm. So we've been working with our congressional delegation to see if we can get that funding reauthorized. Yeah, and that's been a struggle for a lot of years where it seems to be, keep on coming back up and being reauthorized for a year or two, but then lapsing again and coming back and lapsing again. And uh, we're hoping to find a longer-term fix to this, but so far it's been a struggle to find a way to make that happen in Washington. Well, we're going to keep pushing it. I, you know, if anybody has any questions about secure rural schools or wants to know how they might be able to help get the word out about this issue, please don't hesitate uh, to give us a call up at the home office. We'd be happy to 
happy to explain more about it and put you in touch with people who are pretty knowledgeable on the subject. Absolutely. Well, last item is the something I'm not even sure if you'd heard about because we haven't spoken about this yet. You've been winding through the woods on your way back from Winona, but uh, earlier today, the House Republican retreat in, mm-hmm. in Washington, D.C., the members of Congress were heading on a train from Washington, D.C. out to rural Virginia to a retreat called the Homestead, I believe, which is a place I've actually been to retreats at quite a few times myself, um, and it's way out in the middle of nowhere. And the train that was going out that direction ran into a truck that was across the tracks. It was a pretty major um, collision, it sounds like. And uh, Congresswoman Hartzler, your former boss and my former boss, uh, was the only Missourian to be on that train. She's told everyone that she is safe and sound. She's the only Missourian on the Ag Committee, and um, so very important to what we do. But she uh, said she tweeted or put on Facebook that she is is just fine. She survived the the collision, no problem, and put some pictures up as well of the the damage. So we were really Absolutely. worried to hear that, but glad to hear that um, everybody seems to be doing all right. Yes, it doesn't sound like you know um, the. The person who was on the truck, there was unfortunately a fatality there and some injuries, but uh, Congresswoman Hartzler actually sent her a text after I heard the news, and she texted back and said, I'm okay, not injured, thanks for checking, but definitely keep everybody in your prayers, so we will certainly be doing that. Definitely. Hopefully we don't have any of that kind of excitement in the next week, but appreciate you joining us and updating us on what's going on in your area. Yeah, thanks for having me. We'll see you next week. Great. Drive safely. Thank you. Thank you. Leslie Holloway is our Director of Regulatory Affairs. We have a handful of things that are making some news this week with regulations. Uh, We just got word a few minutes ago that the EPA is, uh, the EPA combined with the Corps of Engineers jointly are delaying the Waters of the United States rule. That's an issue that you've spent a ton of your time on the past few years. I have spent a lot of time, as have many other people. (laughs) That's for sure. What are we learning with that today? Well, uh, again, good news. Um, The EPA has gone ahead and officially delayed the effective date of the rule. Uh, The the rule, of course, had been um, put on hold, both by court action and by action by the Trump administration to consider rescinding the rule. Last week, the U.S. Supreme Court ruled that the appeal that had been filed in an appellate court that had resulted in a stay on the rule going into effect should have gone initially to the circuit court as opposed to the appellate court, and therefore the stay was no longer in effect. There was actually another stay that had been in effect that pertained to Missouri as well as some other states. So technically, the rule still would have had a stay in effect uh, in Missouri. But in terms of nationwide, the ruling that came out of the appellate court was in effect um, negated by the action of the U.S. Supreme Court. And so there was some fear that the uh, next step might have been for the WOTUS rule to end up inadvertently being in effect as a result of the U.S. Supreme Court ruling. Now, the American Farm Bureau and other ag organizations had actually um, advocated for the U.S. Supreme Court ruling in that manner because they had maintained that the legal challenge never should have initially been filed at the appellate court level, which is what the environmental groups and um, the EPA under the previous administration had actually wanted. And so they had anticipated more 
uh, favorable action, the environmentalists coming out of the appellate court decision. And so uh, the bottom line is we have another good uh, positive action by the um, EPA under the Trump administration to make sure that that effective date doesn't somehow inadvertently get moved up. And so we have at least another couple of years as EPA continues to review the definition of waters of the United States. Great. Well, we're glad to have a little more certainty there because it definitely put a few people on edge with that decision last week. And it does sound like the EPA and the Corps of Engineers are moving in the right direction on uh, trying to redefine the rules so that it makes some more sense. And we were also happy to see that last week the new head of the Army Corps of Engineers uh, is finally has been confirmed by the United States Senate. And that's a Missouri Farm Bureau member, R.D. James, from Southeast Missouri. And he, I've known him for many years, and he definitely understands this issue. And I think he'll um, he'll be a friendly uh, face for us to see on, on some of these issues because he's had land um, that is in low-lying areas for, for his entire life down in the, in the boot heel in the, in the Mississippi Delta. So um, I'm very happy to have him in that role, particularly for these uh, WOTUS type of issues. We're That's, very excited. It, it is pretty exciting, really, and from what you've said, and, and uh, we're all anxious to uh, get a chance to meet him and, and work with him. And the Corps of Engineers really can have as much, uh, if not more, impact on some mm-hmm. activities relative to farming and ranching. Um, and so we definitely are hoping to see some positive changes at the core uh, along the lines of what we've seen happen with the EPA. Sure. Um, you've also been working on the, the continuing No Mo Red Tape uh, initiative that Governor Greitens uh, put into effect for the entire state government. Where do we stand with that at this moment? No Mo Red Tape uh, is right now um, there are dozens, if not hundreds, of rules, regulations, being revised currently by different state agencies. Uh, For example, with Department of Natural Resources, they have approximately 10 different meetings scheduled just this week to review various aspects of uh, water quality regulations and um, other types of environmental regulations. But uh, under the NOMO red tape review, the agencies are required to propose changes to reduce unnecessary restrictions by May, and so they are all on a, a tight time frame right now trying to get those revisions made, get stakeholder input, and um, have those changes go into effect, hopefully by the end of the year. Yeah, you've been in a lot of meetings at DNR lately, so hopefully they'll be able to find some things that they can propose to really uh, ease up on that red tape that farmers face. It's it's really a, um, quite an undertaking to yeah. go through all those state rules and regulations uh, all at once. And Mm -hmm. it's, uh, um, I mean, an opportunity that we have never had before to try to get some good changes made. And so we're trying to make sure that we have as much input as we can. Yeah. Just having that presumption that these things need to go unless there's a good reason to keep them is a a refreshing approach, I think, something we've asked for for a long time. Oh, yeah. It's it's really a a totally new uh, mindset in terms of regulations. Mm-hmm. One other item that uh, you've been working on for Farm Bureau this week is 
a comment letter that we submitted regarding some new gene editing technologies. Can you tell me what exactly that was all about? That uh, comment letter is um, in response to a solicitation for public input from the Food and Drug Administration. And again, this is part of the regulatory review process at the federal level. So the, the President Trump had uh, directed agencies at the federal level to do same thing that uh, Governor Greitens had asked at the state level. And so as the Food and Drug Administration is going through reviewing their, their policies, their regulations, they've solicited input on uh, this particular regulation, which would restrict the way new biotechnology that is known as gene editing or genome editing um, would be regulated. And they had initially, under the previous administration, proposed regulating the use of this technology in a manner that would actually consider it the, the gene editing technology itself would be classified as a drug, as an animal drug. And by classifying it in that manner, it would actually um, allow the FDA to come in and decide whether any individual animal, any individual genetic change to an individual animal should go through an approval process uh, of the um, of the nature of a, an approval process for a medication. Mm-hmm. And we know how long that process yeah. can take and how involved that process can be and the types of documentation that, that are needed. The researchers that are familiar with this technology, um, many of whom are already putting it to use f- for the betterment of, of agriculture and, and animal health, are up in arms, and uh, President Blake Hurst, Farm Bureau President Blake Hurst, had heard a particip- or participated actually in a panel discussion with some researchers recently at the American Farm Bureau annual convention, and um, he really learned uh, quite a bit about the the technology and why these researchers are just so um, adamant that we can't continue this approach to regulating the technology that that has so much promise for increasing productivity, improving animal health, um, and and uh, they are working diligently to try to make sure that that technology uh, progresses. Yeah, and it seems to me like a, a an issue, one of the things that happens a lot with regula- regulations is if a government agency gets the feeling that they ought, that a, a particular item ought to be regulated one way or another, but they can't find any place where they really have that power. They sort of shoehorn it in. And instead of going and getting authorization through legislation to go do that, they make up a reason that they think they already do have the power to regulate it. Yes, regulatory overreach. That's exactly right. And this is just another one of those uh, situations where the – the the activists seem like they just decide we need to regulate it and we're going to do it no matter if we have the power or not and we'll just make up a way to make it happen. Um, and that's just not the way things are supposed to work for a very good reason. Yeah. So we've been able to rely on uh, the congressional delegation in many cases to try to put the brakes on, uh, of course, the WOTUS uh, issue, um, Senator Blunt and uh, 
members of the congressional delegation have been very active in trying to make sure that that, that goes the right way. And, and uh, we have also appreciated their support on many issues like that. Absolutely. Well, we do appreciate your work on it. I know sometimes it can be drudgery to go through all those rules, but somebody needs to be in the room that understands what's going on. So we appreciate your work on those Thanks. issues. Thanks, Eric. All right. Thank you. Coming right up on a couple of things here at Farm Bureau in the next couple of weeks that we definitely want to make sure you're aware of. Next week is Thank a Farmer Week. That's the first full week of February. The 4th through the 10th is the Thank a Farmer Week that we do every year. We're going to have a lot of um, items on our social media uh, feeds that you might want to pay attention to next week. Uh, we're, if you have any activities that you and your local Farm Bureau chapter in your county are doing that are related to Thank a Farmer Week, Make sure to tag us in those posts so that we'll be able to see them and maybe share them on our social media as well and show all the good work that you're doing to thank the farmers of Missouri. We also, at the end of next week, are going to have the Young Farmer and Ranchers Convention at uh, Tantara. That's the 9th through the 11th. If you haven't gotten signed up for that, please do so right away because it is going to be a big event. We have a lot of people signed up already, several hundred that are going to be there, and you won't want to miss that if you are a young farmer or rancher or if you're interested in being one. We also are getting those finishing touches on the Washington, D.C. trip, March 13th to 16th. Um, we just heard, uh, got confirmation that we're going to have a big guest there. Uh, yesterday, we got the confirmation of it. Can't tell you who it is yet, but if you're interested and you're eligible to go, you better sign up because you won't want to miss it. A um, couple of other smaller items that uh, you don't want to miss as well, but they're, they're further off in the distance, is um, the Ag in the Classroom mini-grants. Still, those, the applications for those are due May 31st. We're still taking those applications for the next couple of months. And also, you can continue to take action at our Action Center, which is on mofb.org, and then go to the left side of the page, Click on Action Center, and you can submit some comments on some issues that are that our legislative team that you just heard from are working on. You can immediately tweet and uh, send emails directly to your elected members of Congress um, with about 30 seconds to a minute of work on your end. That is a great, easy way to make your voice heard and share with them the things that you want them to do as your elected officials. Thanks again for listening, and we will see you next week.